Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Brodo Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host for today, Michael. Tim's not here. If Tim was the one here and I was the one missing the episode, Tim would say something like, Michael's not with us anymore. Pause and then say for this week. Because <laughs> you know how Tim likes to... <laughs> He's very grim with his, <laughs> with his announcements. Do that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Tim's not here for legit the complete opposite um, of grim. He and Maria had their newest son, my second nephew. Very exciting. Robert Gabriel Petropolis. So congrats to Tim and Maria. We're all super excited about it. I Right when I heard the name, (laughs) right when I heard the name, I decided I was going to be calling the kid Robbie. It's like I made that decision in my mind. And then we conferred with Tim and he agreed that Robbie would be the nickname. So it's like, all right, I don't have to argue about like Not Bobby. Not Bobby or Bob. He's Robbie. All right. Robbie. So shout Baby out Robbie. to yeah, shout out to Tim who is uh <clears throat> I mean, I think they're still in the hospital, you know, doing the you know how it goes with babies. They gotta make sure the baby's all good and everything. But right now, baby and mother are doing very well, healthy, good, good birth, and yeah, all very excited. Shout out to Tim. <laughs> good birth. <laughs> good birth. Great birth. <laughs> Great birth. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, congrats to Tim and Maria. And that's why congrats. it's me and Matt on the pod today. Um, and with that, what we're going to be doing today is a little bit of news. We're going to go over the divisional round matchups and then head into the conference round matchups. You could listen to this anywhere, of course, as typical with our podcast. But a reminder that we are now on YouTube with all our pods as well. So if so you, you want to see, see our pretty faces. Yeah, if you want to see mine and Matt's face today on a Thursday afternoon, come over to YouTube.com slash Proto Fantasy and check out the uh, the podcast. Um, with that being said, the podcast today is brought to you by none other than the Fantasy Football by Brodo app. A lot of people think, you know, it's a fantasy football app. I'm not going to need it anymore. That's completely false. You could look at any stat from the 2022 season at any time with it. We're going to be having um, content throughout the year as well. Matt released earlier today a podcast breaking down the championship round matchup between the Chiefs and Bengals, which we're going to be discussing later as well. We're going to be having player comps later on in the year. So keep that app on your phone. And if you don't have it yet, go ahead and download it and get the edge early heading into next season. Or even like we're going to be having dynasty content. As you guys know, Matt is the dynasty whiz. That's a year round situation going on when it comes to fantasy football. Um, you There's no break in dynasty, which is why that's, some people love it so much. I think that's the most underrated aspect of our app is like and i mean i've brought this up before but how i discovered the app before i was ever a part of the content team was because of the player comps and like the dynasty adjacent accessibility that it offers because it's constantly you know revamping and updating and and adding so many off-season perks yeah and that was before we even like we're getting more and more into dynasty um matt is going to be doing a bunch of dynasty work for us throughout the off-season so yeah, the excitement is real. So, yeah, check that out and uh, download the app. And with that, Matt, we could dive right into the the player news this week. It's going to be a little short, of course, but there are a couple things that I'm actually interested in talking about. So, firstly, D'Amico Ryans is the, the hot candidate this year. Um, the San Francisco 49ers defensive coordinator. Yeah, as he should be. He was a great player back in his day, and he's just really transferring that over into coaching, it seems, because he looks like he uh, he just 
you could tell that he really leads that defense. Um, Broncos beat writer Mike Kliss reported that D'Amico Ryan's is the team's top candidate to fill their head coaching vacancy. If you're the Broncos, how do you feel about this? Or a Broncos fan, how would you feel about D'Amico Ryan's joining the squad? I, I mean, I think it's the perfect fit for the, the the one thing that you could talk positively about that team all year was how phenomenal that defense was. And obviously it got masked by the terrible offensive output and, and the downfall of Russell Wilson and the firing of Nathaniel Hackett and so on and so forth. But as long as they can provide him with a solid play caller and and an open offensive mind as well. I think it's the perfect fit. Like you're already not going to score on that team just because of the personnel that they have in their secondary and on the defensive line. D'Amico Ryan's is their head coach and obviously would be like the de facto defensive coordinator as well. You would assume in that situation, kind of like a Bill Belichick. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that would be, I think that would be incredible for that team and it would be, also in a, put them in a position where there's a lot less pressure going into year two. The expectations are obviously incredibly low. Um, so he yeah. would have, I would hope from the, the front office and organization, he would have a little bit more of a leash than Hackett did as well. I'd agree with you there. And the other thing is with, if the Broncos were to get to Miko Ryan's, the, the reason I would, I think it would be a great hire for them is the 49ers defense. The 49ers defense has some very good players. Don't get me wrong. You know, Nick Bosa, Fred Warner and company, but it's not the 49ers offense. Like the 49ers offense, Debo, Kittle, McCaffrey, Brandon Ayuk. That's the defense. Like Trent they're Williams. led by, yeah, they're led by like Traverius Ward in the secondary. Like it's not like these are household names at some of these like very um, primary defensive positions. And they're still just absolutely dominating week in and week True. out. And the Broncos defense, despite all of the Broncos' faults this year, their defense was still top-notch, which was one of the main reasons why it was so despicable to see how bad the Broncos and Russell Wilson played because their defense was holding teams to under 20 points a game. Patrick Sertan and company, like, that defense isn't going anywhere. So if D'Amico Ryans heads there and takes over a a defense that's already very good, I think that could just boost them even further. And, and of course, they still need to try to figure out that offense. They need to find someone who's going to revive Russell Wilson in his career. That's Obviously, like a big Frank Reich, bro. Yeah, maybe Frank Reich. I wouldn't. I would not be. Imagine the if they bring in Ryan's and Frank Reich. That would that's be. That's what I'm trying to say. Like that would be solid. Just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I think Tobago Ryan's would. Uh, I mean, any team really, but the Broncos, I think, makes makes sense if they're trying to because they're trying to turn their season around. Their excuse me, their team around ASAP because they're not in a rebuilding mode. They just traded everything for Russell Wilson. They don't have the cap. They don't have a cap. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so they, they kind of need to to make this work. So we'll see how that goes. But I do think that would be a good hire for the Broncos. This is a two-parter, Matt. Um, firstly, the Jets about three hours ago hired Nathaniel Hackett as their offensive coordinator. And then about one hour ago, Robert Salas said the team is committed to finding a veteran when asked about plans at the quarterback position. Obviously, you know where I'm going here um, when it comes to Nathaniel Hackett and his ties to Mr. Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. Yeah. How, what are your thoughts here? I mean, I, I, I watch I've been a big fan of the Pat McAfee show and Aaron Rodgers Tuesdays for, for a long time. And I, j- just in general, not not as like a, a Packers fan or anything, but I think it's really cool to see any athlete sit down for an extended period of time on a weekly basis and talk about the inner goings and their perceptions of the league. Stuff like that's always really cool to me. And that said, Aaron Rodgers 
kind of has this air about him every season where like, okay, I need to take time away, make my decisions. I'm not going to be involved with, you know, what's going on on the team. I'm talking to the GM, this and that. That said, this year does feel different. Like the way that he was talking about it on McAfee and the way that it's kind of being portrayed in the media. And there's always ties to him going somewhere else, or at least there has been for the last two or three off seasons. But this feels very legitimate. This feels much more legitimate. And I saw that you retweeted something um, yeah. from like 2020, but I was going to bring it up as well with that is Rodgers, when all of these first rumors started of him leaving the Packers, he was like, I'm not going anywhere as long as Nathaniel Hackett is here. And if he goes, I'll go too. Yeah. Like I, I that I'm not saying that verbatim, but that was essentially, you know, what the quote was saying. And so, yeah, I mean, they've obviously given up on Zach Wilson and probably rightfully so. Um, they have a playoff ready defense and a playoff ready offensive line. Obviously, Garrett Wilson is a phenomenal star. Elijah Moore with a different offensive coordinator. Hopefully we would see some of that talents back. Yeah, they really might be the most quarterback away team in the NFL. Yeah, and the thing is with Nathaniel Hackett, obviously he's the uh, the joke of the year, right? After his head coaching debacle with the Broncos. But people forget that a lot of these coaches are just better at their, I guess you could say positions, similar to players, right? Like he's Agreed. a better offensive coordinator than he was a head coach. You see it like with Todd Bowles. Todd Bowles has always been a very good defensive coordinator, but he sucked every time he's given a chance to be a head coach. And Nathaniel Hackett, like, this is a guy who, yes, he had Aaron Rodgers when he was in Green Bay, but it was a very effective offense during that time. And he had a stint with Jacksonville, too, where he turned Blake Bortles and Allen Robinson and Allen Hearns into an offensive juggernaut. Division winners. They made it to to the AFC championship game and just barely lost to the Patriots. Like, that was under Nathaniel Hackett's, uh, whatever the word is, uh, tutelage. Rain. Right. Tutelage, yeah. yeah. Tutelage. That was under his tutelage. I got to start using tutelage more. It's a great word. So tutelage like, is a top tier word. Yeah. yeah. So if 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 the new Jets tutelage leads to Aaron Rodgers coming back, <laughs> that would be uh, that would be tremendous. I think the Jets have obviously I'm a Jets fan. I think the Jets have the talent there with Garrett Wilson, Brees Hall, Elijah Moore, Elijah Vera Tucker. Like guys like Makai Becton, who didn't even play this entire year. And on the defensive side, Sauce Gardner, of course, Quinnen Williams, DJ Reed and company. Like, I think this is a team that can compete for sure if they're able to get a guy like Aaron Rodgers. And Nathaniel Hackett is just adding to that pot ever so slightly more with everyone uh, looking only, for that to I happen. Think the only unfortunate thing with the, which is kind of getting overlooked. And, and I do think Aaron Rodgers certainly, especially in that division, um, certainly puts them in a position to immediately compete and make the playoffs, but is it worth the cost? And I, I mean, like, yes, the Rams won a Super Bowl, but are the Jets really that close of like one quarterback away to be able to give up what will be two first round draft picks for Aaron Rodgers? Um, see, I think they, I wouldn't hate it. If it's Aaron Rodgers for two years and you're trading a first round pick for those two years, so be it. Like, I wouldn't be against that. I also think the Jets have room to grow. Like, this isn't their set team. They could. Um, sign more players. I mean, they could also, yeah, absolutely. They could also make cuts. Like if they cut Corey Davis this year, they could save a bunch of cap to make another. They have signing. an insane amount of cap room already. Yeah. So like, <laughs> like I don't think they would need to cut Corey Davis. They have a ridiculous amount of cap room because they have all of these guys on rookie contracts still. Yeah, and most of their stars are 
rookies, second year, third year guys. Like they've been, they've really been crushing the draft these last couple of years outside of the quarterback position, of course, with Zach Wilson. Um, but the QB position is the hardest position always to to draft. So that's just how it goes. So we'll see how it goes. But um, I mean, I do think it would be a, a great fit. And the, the last piece of news that I wanted to bring to your attention, Matt, and to the people's attention, Kellen Moore, the offensive coordinator of the Dallas Cowboys, former quarterback himself, another former player turned coach like D'Amico Ryans, has completed his second interview with the Carolina Panthers, which I think is a interesting really- team. I think there's an even more interesting thing with that is usually second interview is done like sometimes a few days apart, whatever. They like courted him and kept him in Carolina leading up to his second interview. So he like did his first one on Friday and then his second one on Tuesday. But he stayed like with the organization over the weekend. And they did not wait. Like the Cowboys got bounced and they were like, all right, Kellen Moore, come on down. Price is right style. Mm-hmm. Like, so yeah, that's a interesting one. I do think it would. The, I just the Panthers are in such a a difficult situation. I think like I I don't think Sam Darnold is the future of the Panthers franchise. Like, I don't think Matt Coral is the future of the Panthers franchise. I kind of have to no, get. A, I, I I do think that he'll get a chance to start, but I agree with you one hundred percent. Yeah, but I do think I Kellen Moore gets some some shit sometimes, but. I haven't had an issue with the way Kellen Moore has operated um, that Bronco, excuse me, that Cowboys offense. And I mean, the Cowboys offense in the second half of the year was ridiculous this season with a uh, Dak healthy, despite Dak's uh, litany of interceptions leading the league, despite missing like five games. But yeah, Kellen Moore is an interesting name. Yeah. His system also led Cooper rush to having like a six and one record as a starter. That too. DJ Moore would be a, uh, would probably be the big, the big name there to keep an eye on for someone, something like a Cooper cup role. I think he'd fit that mold fairly well. Well, that being said, Matt, we're going to dive into the divisional round and break down the games a little bit, give our insight and thoughts on each of the four games that occurred. We'll, we'll go in the order that the games were played. I was very disappointed with the 2022 divisional round games typically like divisional round is considered like the best weekend in football that certainly wasn't the case we've seen much better football at previous times but with that being said the games were played and i don't think there is i mean you know we'll get into it when we get into each game but we'll start with the jaguars and chiefs a chiefs win 27 to 20 the big story there patrick mahomes with the high ankle sprain um Knocking him out for a little bit. Chad Henney came in and Chad Henney led a scoring drive. Shout out to Chad Henney. As as Henney seemingly always does. Yeah, backup extraordinaire. Um, but with that being said, Matt, how did you uh what did you think of this game? Because I when I was uh watching this game the entire time, it was it was never really a really a, a distant game for the Jaguars. They were never out of it, but in my mind the entire time I was like, the Jaguars are out of it. Like they're not winning 100%. this game. I, I that, know exactly that's how you're seeing how you it feel. too. Yeah, 100%. And it was, it's almost like, I don't want to do too much like narrative analysis on it because, you know, you have to kind of get in the heads of these kids and, and that's impossible to do. But Trevor Lawrence legitimately seems to have some sort of, I don't know if it's a confidence issue or, or, or what, but like there's a switch that that kid can turn on 
but he has an awfully hard time turning it on sometimes. Like the performance that you saw, the comeback performance against the Ravens in the middle of the season, and then obviously the comeback performance in the wild card round. Like that kid at certain points looks as good as any quarterback that I've ever watched play football. And alternatively, one of the worst quarterbacks that I've ever seen play football at other times. <laughs> like, yeah, it's pretty it's, wild. It, it's very strange. And, and yeah, he's still very, very young. And like, you know, the argument of like, you know, would you rather have Justin Herbert, Trevor Lawrence, Joe Burrow? And like people forget that like Trevor Lawrence is three years younger than all of those guys developments like Joe Burrow's 26 years old and Justin Herbert's, you know, 25 and and Trevor Lawrence is 23 years old and really what is his first season in the NFL. So, yeah, I I think there's some some mental blocks and some experience issues there. It just like to agree with you, I guess it just didn't seem like he knew how to win that game. And I can't, I can't blame him either. It's that's the uh, the team is just the Jaguars team is just not as talented as the Chiefs True. team, and in my opinion, and they just they're they're maybe a year away from if they build even further from being a a more potent team. It was a great run for them though in Trevor Lawrence's second year with Doug Peterson, but I think they're they're going to be very happy to bring in Calvin Ridley, um, another year of Travis Etienne. Um, further away from the injury that he dealt with in his rookie season that kept him out the entire year. And on the Chiefs side, though, the Chiefs side was a little a little interesting to me because Patrick Mahomes did not have a huge game, 22 for 30, 195 yards, and two passing touchdowns. Of course, Chad Henney went five for seven and it threw a touchdown. A similar QBR to Patrick Mahomes because, you know, those two are easily replaceable when it comes down to it. <laughs> Isaiah Pacheco, though, 12 for 95 on the ground, had a very good rushing game um the closest to him was Jarek mckinnon who went 11 for 25 so pacheco uh, he continues to be the clear lead back when it comes to those early down rushes but what really was hilarious was the usage of travis kelsey because patrick mahomes was just like i'm gonna throw to travis kelsey over and over this guy had 14 receptions for 98 yards like these weren't even downfield type passes most of the time like they were just like dump offs to travis kelsey yeah but he also had two touchdowns and the issue with me here with the Chiefs is that Juju, again, didn't show up. Two for 29. Kadarius Tony had his best game as a Chief, you could say, with five receptions, his highest reception total for 36 yards. Otherwise, everyone else had one catch. Noah Gray, Justin Watson, Isaiah Pacheco, MVS, Blake Bells, and uh, Sky Moore. Like, they're going to need someone to step up in the uh, in the next game, I think. But uh, we both had the Chiefs winning this game. Um, we both had them... I think against the spread, we said we preferred the teaser of a field goal. They ended up not hitting on the spread because the Jaguars had to score at the end of the game. Of course, that's how it always yeah, goes. They only won by seven, but what are you going to do? Yeah, the Chiefs move on to the championship round. Next up was the the worst game of the week. By golly, was this a stinker. If yeah. you're a New York Giants fan, the Eagles and Giants. I don't I take back every positive thing I ever said about Brian Table. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like what to say about this game. I'll kick it off since you kicked off the last one, but it was a 38 to seven Eagles victory, like 28, nothing at half Daniel Jones, everything that everyone said about Daniel Jones the week prior, you know, elevating his game, really showing out, proving that maybe he can be the quarterback of the future in the giants. He took all that hype and just right back down, maybe even lower than he was before the Vikings playoff game. That's how bad he was against the the Eagles. 15 for 27, 135 passing yards and an interception. Like it was just 
a really, really bad game. Saquon Barkley was nine for 61 on the ground, but it's not like that. People see a 6.8 average and they're like, oh, you know that uh, they should have ran the ball more. It was working like, no, he was getting stuffed at the line. He just happened to break out like a 45 yard rush at one point that he that, that he should have took to the Saquon damn house. Would have housed. Old Saquon yeah. would have housed. Everybody knows it. Yep. I don't even, yeah. we're not even being mean. <laughs> like, yeah. Like if you're trying to get paid Christian McCaffrey money, you got to take that damn rush to the house, bro. He like, would, I mean, there's obviously like, there's obviously been some detriment to those injuries, man. Like old Saquon would have housed that with a defender trailing, not want or like, yeah, with, like with defenders stacked is what you call it. Right. When they're like in line chasing you. And not one catching him from behind with a pretty poor angle at that. Yeah. And then the receiving options. Richie James went 751. Otherwise, nobody had more than two catches. Saquon had two catches. And then Brita, Isaiah Hodgins, Daniel Bellinger, Darius Slayton. Like Isaiah Hodgins has really come on of late. All just completely shit the bed. Isaiah Hodgins went one catch for three yards. It was just a despicable performance by the... Giants, which was completely different from the Eagles side, which I'll let you uh, take over the Eagles side because you had a, a couple guys you're probably going to, you know, tap your back about on a little bit on the Eagles side here. <laughs> well, I mean, also, I'll just start off with the one guy that kind of just cleaned the game out for them um, and, and closed it out. And obviously that's Kenny Gainwell and somebody that I was touting in DFS lineup. So um, just for the simple fact of like playoff variance and if the Eagles go up big, they're not going to run Miles Sanders into the ground. Um, Miles Sanders did have 17 carries for 90 yards, but Kenny Gainwell opens up 112 yards, 12 carries, one touchdown. Jalen Hurts went 16, 24 for 154 and two TDs. Basically, just didn't have to do much. Um, they, I mean, they walked all over them. And, and seeing what Hawkinson did, Dallas Goddard opened the game up as the first touchdown scorer, and from then on, it was just you know a runaway game obviously uh Devontae Smith heavily outperforming AJ Brown once again six for 61 a touchdown on 10 targets AJ Brown three for 22 on six targets um yeah I feel pretty bad about having uh as much faith in the Giants that I did if we're if we're being honest they they really I really did kind of feel like they had a little bit of Cinderella there and, and a lot of that came down to the guy that's probably about to win coach of the year in, in Brian Dayball um yeah. But they he was vastly outcoached by Nick Sirianni and widely outplayed by just a much more talented roster. And for all of that, too, the, the Giants came in as dogs, obviously, but not that big of a gap. And the Eagles are kind of getting disrespected. And up until last game, yeah. the 49ers were actually um, the favorite odds team from the NFC to make the Super Bowl. So, uh, yeah, don't be sleeping on that team anymore. I made that mistake. Yeah, I think we we both had the Eagles winning that game, but certainly the thought the Giants good. would put yeah. more of a fight in for sure in this one. <laughs> so that was a spickle game. I went out with uh, some friends, some Giants fans, friends to watch it. I actually Themi came out too. We met Themi in person for the first time. Jason and I. It was it was great hanging out with Themi, um, despite the atrocious game that the that the Giants put forth. That caps the Saturday games to the Sunday games. Like you pat yourself on the back a little bit with Kenneth Gainwell, rightfully so. I'm going to pat myself on the back here a little bit with the Cincinnati Bengals beating the Buffalo Bills 27 to 10. Because on last week's pod, I said not only should you take the Bengals here, 
but you should take the Bengals minus six and a half because the Bills tend to lose by a touchdown or more, and I think the Bengals are just the better team. And uh, one, I was correct. That was a plus 420 bet at the time. One of our patrons sent to the chat saying, like, hell yeah, with a plus 500. So you could have got it shopped around and got it at a better spot than I even did. But, man, 27 to 10 is not what I was expecting. The Cincinnati Bengals have not allowed more than, I think it was 24 points in the playoffs over the past two years. Their defense just turns to, tends to uh, turn up at that point. Um, obviously, Matt, you were a you're a Bills you were a Bills guy. You thought they had a, a yep. good shot here. So how did you uh, how did you feel about the Bills' performance in this one? I mean, incredibly disappointed. Yeah, I the Bills and the Eagles were my you know kind of preseason um, choices to to make the Super Bowl outright, and half of that bet is looking pretty good, obviously, but it, it's yeah. dead now that the the Bills have been eliminated. The most surprising thing of that game, and we will talk about it a little later going into the chiefs Bengals matchup coming up, but just how they got dominated up front. They got dominated up front on the offensive side, and they got dominated up front on the defensive side. Joe Mixon ran all over them, and they put a ton of pressure on Josh Allen um, to the point that, you know, Allen's completion percentage was the, the lowest in a single game in his playoff career. So that Bengals team, when everybody makes fun of their offensive line for being as bad as it is and like, oh, you know, Joe Burrow's so good because he's impervious to pressure. So it doesn't matter that his offensive line is dog water. They look phenomenal. And and yeah, you can really set the tone when you go up early and then do what you can do on the defensive side where obviously their passing game isn't what carried that game, but it was clock control. And just every time Joe Mixon touched the ball, it was a five-yard gain, four-yard gain, eight-yard gain nine yard like no big plays but they just couldn't get penetration at all kansas city is not really known either for that side so i yeah i was very impressed by the Bengals and and can kind of understand how they're coming in as road dog or road favorites yeah that's a little while we're gonna get a little bit more into that um after we finish recapping these divisional games but i'm with you i was very impressed by the uh the Bengals' performance offensively and defensively and the bills just another Another letdown year. It it just it seems to be a trend. And, and with that the Bills. and the relationship between Stefan Diggs and Josh Allen for whatever you it is fractured. Yes, it can be repaired, but there's when things get that personal, there's no way that they're like everybody's human. You have to remember that. So like there's no way that there is not some sort of you know, and, and sure it can be squashed, but as it stands right now, yes, that relationship is absolutely in turmoil. Yeah, Diggs was clearly very, very upset after the end of the yeah, game. Yeah, I'd uh, say. Isaiah and McKenzie. Blaming his quarterback. Yeah, uh, Isaiah McKenzie had to like get him from leaving the building and said that he was just like, I don't understand. How did this keep happening? Like, I feel you, Stefan Diggs. Um, it's this is a team that's been, you know, expected to win for several yeah, years one, now. I, I do think it's it might be a little explosive, but, but I think his frustrations are absolutely warranted. Yeah. Only four for 35 game from Stefan Diggs. Against I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure he would have liked the ball a little more, but what are you going to do? That was the impressive win from the Bengals and another letdown year for Buffalo bills fans. Buffalo bills fans are, uh, they have a good team, but man, they just continue like when the gym, like when they had four straight losses in the Super Bowl, like they're just it's getting a semi semi tortured. Yeah. 
Well, and, uh, you know, to touch on that a little bit, too, is like they're in a rough spot. Like they kind of have to roll this team out again. And yes, it's a very, very talented team. But you saw their general manager talking about it after the game as well. Um, Pardon me for not being able to remember his name off the top. Bean, right? Um, But yeah, he was like. I don't want to suck bad enough to the point that I can draft Jamar Chase. Like that was his mentality. And it's like, okay, well, for one, you literally gave up Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson for Stefan Diggs. And like, yes, I understand that mentality. I always want to be competing, but at a certain point that, that hamstrings you to your salary cap. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but Let's see how, what changes they make. They they certainly could get more weapons for Josh Allen. I think that's. I think people are finally catching on to the fact that Gabe Davis is just a a normal guy. He's a jack. not. Yeah. Like. With that being said, the final game of the divisional round was a a defensive battle between the Cowboys and 49ers Here, um, I watching this game, it was it was very close the entire time. The uh, the Cowboys held the lead for a little bit. They went into half down nine to six only after a blocked Brett Maher extra point. <laughs> Funny enough. But, this uh, guy. Yeah. yeah. But it, I it would have missed anyway, which is what's crazy about it. Like yeah. it was blocked by like the ed, like the hook edge. Yeah, it did not it look like missed it was completely <laughs> went through the uprights. Maybe he got a maybe it was a little bit of a you know, he got helped out in a way. It made it seem like he wasn't gonna miss because it was blocked, but Nonetheless, this was another game that I was like similar to the Chiefs and <clears throat> Chiefs and Jaguars. I thought the Cowboys had a chance, but I, the entire game, I just kind of felt like the 49ers were more in control um, than the Dallas Cowboys were. And look, they didn't have a tremendous game by any means. The 49ers offense, Brock Purdy went 19 for 29, 214 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions. Um, George Kittle had five receptions. Christian McCaffrey had six. Those are the only two guys with five or more receptions. Debo and Ayuk had quiet days christian mccaffrey went 10 for 35 on the ground the only scored one touchdown with elijah mitchell 14 for 51 and he was the running back who was in excuse me closing out the game at the end of it so kyle shanahan clearly likes elijah mitchell as that type of guy even though he erroneously went out of bounds when he could have slid down and ended the game he was kind of the reason the cowboys still had a shot um he wanted to score (laughs) yeah yeah, but, which you shouldn't have done anyway. Like the that's still that mentality that he, even if he had the open lane, he should probably knee at the one or whatever. But yeah, he wanted to score real bad. <laughs> yeah, and then on the Cowboy side, like Dak, Dak struggled. Twenty three for thirty seven, just one touchdown, two hundred six yards, two interceptions, but both were bad interceptions. That that's bad. the issue, especially Start, that tearing the, down first read completely covered. Just throw it to him anyway. Like as bad as a pick can get from a quarterback. Yeah, that first Michael Gallup one was just like, uh, what are you what are you looking at, man? But look, Zeke went 10 for 26 on the ground. I think that one of the biggest concerns for Dallas, if they were to have won, would have been Tony Pollard missing the game. Um, he was only able to play a half before he suffered a high ankle sprain, similar to Patrick Mahomes, except a high ankle sprain is a lot tougher for running backs who live off of their ankles, basically. But C.D. Lamb absolutely dominated. I feel I, I I just kept thinking Dak just throw the damn ball to C.D. Lamb because, like I was saying earlier with D'Amico Ryan's, the 49ers secondary isn't like a, a group of household names, and C.D. Lamb was able to have his way. Ten catches, 117 yards, um, but he was really the only one able to make any sort of impact. Um, the other, no other wide receiver had more than two catches. Michael Gallup had zero receptions. 
And it was just a, a letdown performance by the Cowboys who continue similar to the Bills to make it to the playoffs and just evidently lose in the wild card or divisional round. And that's that. Um, well, how'd you how'd you feel about this game, Matt? Because I kind of just ran through the uh, the entire game in my mind. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, obviously, leading the league in interceptions, um, only playing 11 games, 15 picks over 11 games. I don't know why we're overly surprised that Dak Prescott, you know, threw the game away. Uh, I think he's unjustifiably getting or getting too much blame put on him. Yeah, there. That's the sentence I was looking I for. Uh, but that said, obviously you can't demean the fact that yes, he threw two picks and they still only lost by seven points. Um, so that said, it, again, like the bills kind of in a purgatory situation, the cap is looking real ugly. Zeke's contract is looking real ugly. Clearly Tony Pollard was a major cog in that offense that, you know, might get a lot of love on Twitter, but I don't think the mainstream media really recognizes that he is the one that makes that offense click and it's not Zeke and it's not Dak. And, and I think it's because of his versatility, similar to a CMC in that situation um, mm -hmm. where you really don't know what is coming when he is the one lining up in the backfield, where it's a little more obvious what play packages are there when Zeke is the one in the backfield. Um, True that. <laughs> moving forward, obviously that offensive line is going to remain intact and, and they're, are, are incredible that defense is aging a little bit but still looks great i think really the the main problem is the head coaching and the coaching in general and they might be losing the best part of that coaching staff which is kellen moore the guy that was actually able to orchestrate their number one wide receiver getting 10 catches and 100 yards when that game was starting to get out of hand so yeah no i hear you it's a difficult situation for the cowboys i mean they're Similar to the Bills, I, I don't think they're going to give up at any point. They just kind of have to keep trying to get more pieces to build a, and, and, build a winning and yeah, team. It, it's the wide receiver room. Your number two wide receiver can't have zero catches in the playoffs. And you can't be lighting third-round picks on fire on Jalen Tolbert. I love the kid, obviously, but like either develop him or, or, like, or, or scout better. Like I don't know what to say. Like, yeah. Yeah, especially with like Noah Brown had two catches, Michael Gallup zero. It was just the CD Lamb show. Dalton Schultz had five catches, like, but or seven. But... Off of his couch coming in as you're now your number two waters. It's like you really yeah. have to be more prepared than that in the playoffs. To Jiminy a Cricket Hilton. Shout out to, to, <laughs> to Jiminy a Cricket Hilton. So with that being said, Matt, let's jump into the conference championship games, the games that have not happened yet, and that we are going to try to dissect a little bit here for you. The first game on the slate is the 49ers and the Eagles. The 49ers are two-and-a-half-point underdogs at Philly, which means Vegas is basically saying, I don't know, man, you try to figure it out, leaving it at two-and-a-half <laughs> points. Yeah. Um, with an over-under of 46-and-a-half. What, what, uh, what are you looking at here in this matchup? I mean, uh, going back to my, you know, we just kind of published our, my breakdowns for games, but... Obviously, in this matchup, I think the biggest storyline is Brock Purdy. Like, it's he's directed the 49ers to eight consecutive, undefeated as a starter, but he also looked absolutely terrified against the pressure that Dallas was able to bring. They won that game, so a lot of people are ignoring it, but like zero touchdowns, 214 yards, zero picks. Yeah, sure, two sacks, but also a lot of errant throws, a lot of you know, throws into the ground because he was getting pressured. There, there was a moment too on the the first sack that he took actually, where Purdy saw the pressure break down and just like 
in that situation, most quarterbacks roll out, right? Like you roll out so that your front shoulder is facing the way that you're running. Instead, he just backpedaled like continuously until he was sacked. So I think that the Eagles obviously have a better defensive front and pressure line than the Dallas had. I mean, you should think that they had 70 sacks this season, nine players with over double digit sacks, the best defensive line in the NFL, the most sacks of anybody in the NFL, the most QB pressures, the most hurries, the quickest time to the quarterback, all on average, one overall. Um, As much as we love San Francisco's 49ers defense, the Eagles have the best pass rush in the NFL. I think the pressure that Brock Purdy is going to be succumbed to in that 49ers Eagles game is going to be much more than the Cowboys game. And I think it's going to be his, to his detriment. I was wondering what he would finally do when he got pressured because of how quick they released the ball and it didn't look good and their passing game Mm -hmm. suffered. And and I I think that the Eagles are not going to run away with this, but I think if they put a similar defensive game plan that the Cowboys did, their offense is certainly going to function better than the Cowboys did. And they're going to be able to win this game. Yeah, I we discussed a lot in the previous podcast because I was very um I was very torn over this game the, the, the that game the Cowboys and the 49ers because of the Cowboys defense in their front seven and like you said they were able to limit Brock Purdy's um, ability to make plays in that game it was they they almost won that game without scoring a touchdown like if McCaffrey didn't get into the end zone and kick the field goal they would have um, led 13 to 12 and. I mean, maybe they still would have held on to win that game without even scoring a single touchdown. And that's what the 49ers have done this year, held teams to limited amount of points and have been able to put together points because of the amount of weapons they have. But I I kind of agree with you here, Matt, in that the the Eagles secondary and pass rush, you could argue, are both better than the uh, than the Cowboys. And like they just the Giants. On one end, when you come to the Giants, you either say, wow, how bad is the Vikings defense? Or you say, wow, how good is the Eagles defense? I think you say both. I really do. (laughs) Because he absolutely shut down Daniel Jones and company. And as as much as I say Daniel Jones isn't the answer and all that, this isn't the Giants offense wasn't an offense that got just completely shut down every week this year. Like they were good enough to make the playoffs and uh, they had some big games as you saw against Minnesota as well in the playoffs. So I, the issue here for me is Brock Purdy's ability to make plays. Um, I'm not sure he's going to be able to do it at the rate needed to beat a team like the Philadelphia Eagles who on, on the other side of the ball, Jalen hurts, AJ Brown, Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard, Miles Sanders. Like these, this is a team that you could, compare like they're not the 49ers offensive positions but you could compare it I think they're very close I mean I do genuinely believe that AJ Brown and Devontae Smith are both better than Debo Samuel or Brandon Ayuk like I think Devontae is better than Debo I think obviously AJ is better than both of them as well you know to that point Goddard and Kittle obviously a little edge to Kittle Sanders CMC edge to CMC but it is that close And, and obviously Jalen Hurts much better than Purdy so yes yeah, so and I'm, offensive lines too. Like the Eagles do have the best offensive line in the NFL, and the 49ers have the second best. Exactly. So that's the uh that's where that's how I'm looking at this too. At home, the Eagles as well. I I lean here the Eagles um money line if I were if I were to bet this, the Eagles money line, but I think the the under 46 and a half is more appealing 
to me than the over. I think this is another ugly-ish type game where the Eagles maybe pull out like a 23 to 20 type victory. Um, so if I had to, if I had to bet, I'm, I mean, I am going to bet this game. I'm probably going to put some on the <laughs> facts on the Eagles money line. I don't know if I'm going to do the the spread of minus two and a half. That one's a bit tougher, I think. Um, but if I if I was forced to bet the spread, I would do the the Eagles minus two and a half. No, uh, no fun moving of the line for me this time, like I did with the Bengals last week. I, I think I just leave it as is. How how are you feeling about the uh, the spread and the over under in this one? Forty six and a half was the over under. Yeah, I do think that I, I, my predicted score had it just over. Like, I think my predicted score had it at 47. So, obviously, leaning the the over a bit there. Um, Eagles money line as well. Yeah, I, I do think, again, not a runaway game. I think the Eagles run away with it. But I'd be, I would be remiss if I didn't bring this up. One of the f- cooler stats or, or kind of cooler narratives that I found when I was researching this game. Um, no rookie quarterback has ever started in a Super Bowl. So meaning like no rookie quarterback has ever won a conference championship. Not only has no rookie wow. quarterback ever won a conference championship, there's only been four in NFL history that have ever started one. You had um Sean King in the or Sean King. Um oh what what was it? anyway, King, Roethlisberger, Flacco, Sanchez are the four starters. They Mark Sanchez for, baby. They combined for a 51.8 passer rating, nine interceptions, four touchdowns and 196.8 yards per game. Those are the four rookie quarterbacks that have ever started in a conference game. So (laughs) Mark Sanchez, obviously not that great, but like those other two guys are hall of fame quarterbacks. (laughs) Okay. I, they, they were obviously in much better situations than, than Brock Purdy, as far as talent is concerned. Now the talent that surrounds Brock Purdy, you could argue is, is as good as anybody in the league. But that said, it's, it's, it's over. It's all of it, man. It's like nine. You can say nine out of 10 times. Well, this is the 10th game. Do you know what I yeah. mean? Like yeah, and yeah. quite literally, it quite literally is, though. Right. Like yeah. the, the levy will break because Brock Purdy is not the most talented quarterback in the NFL. He has the best system, but that levy is going to break. No system is perfect. Every team loses games any given Sunday. And I don't think that he can stand in front of the pressure of Hassan Reddick and company for another 60 minutes and do what he's been doing with enough success to win that game. So look at us both on the Eagles in this one. Let's see how that goes. We're going to look very smart or very dumb, Matt. Very. <laughs> and then the final game of the weekend, a- AFC Conference Championship game, the battle I'm more excited to watch, if I'm being honest. I'm very excited for both, but this one just gives me that little edge. Get, get a little edge for this one. The Bengals and the Chiefs, where on FanDuel, at least, the Chiefs are now one-point favorites again. So it's swung back into the Chiefs' it's, favor. Okay. Yeah, the Bengals are no longer the uh, the the betting favorite on the road here with an over-under of 47 and a half. This is an interesting one, Matt. I jumped into the 49ers and Eagles first last time, so I'll let you dive into this one first this time. Um, what are you looking at in this rematch of the juggernauts? I mean, we kind of led into it a little bit earlier in the episode, but it's going to be the front. It's going to be in the trenches. And not even if you're talking about the rushing game of Cincinnati, which I think they certainly need to get working again uh, to have the type of 
performance or at least dominance that they had against the Bills. But the Chiefs have to be able to keep Patrick Mahomes upright for four quarters without contact, essentially. And he like he's not going to be able to roll out. So that pocket needs to be clean constantly. And it's going to have to be a lot of quick releasing passes, short yardage. What they did, it's going to have to be exactly what they did um, against Jacksonville. But obviously, Cincinnati's defense is much better than Jacksonville. And and they're comparably as good as the Kansas City offense on paper. And Kansas City comes in first overall in total yards, first overall in scoring, first overall in passing, but 20th in rushing yards. And the Bengals are top seven across the board in defense. Struggling a little bit against the pass overall on paper, but have improved vastly during the playoffs and and to close out the season as well. Yeah, you're going to burn Eli Apple, but (laughs) the rest of that secondary and that defensive line putting the pressure that they can, very, very capable defensive unit. I'm starting to lean. The more that I open this game up, I'm I'm leaning the Bengals. I, I think that the Bengals might take this one on the road. Burrow undefeated against Mahomes in, in his career. Uh, it would be a 4-0 sweep in two seasons. Um, the last time that they played in this position, too, Joe Burrow was down 21-3 to in the second quarter and ended up winning 27-24 to in overtime. Uh, like, this is, a, this is a game that I would be a lot more bullish on the Chiefs if Patrick Mahomes wasn't on one leg. Yeah, I just think when it comes to Patrick Mahomes, like, they're going to have those cortisone shots ready and pumped into his leg. Um, he's practicing. Yeah, I mean, he's practicing in full. Yeah. yeah. In full, he's, he's, he's practicing, which is on all of it. Yeah. I, and it's still Patrick Mahomes. My, one of my main concerns here, though, is that, like, can, will Patrick Mahomes really lose back to back years at home in the conference championship against the Bengals? I, it's similar to, like, Tom Brady, right? The second time he played the Giants in the Super Bowl, it was like, is he really going to lose to the Giants again? But he did. in the Super Bowl, and he did, <laughs> yeah. So it's like, but I, I'm a huge Patrick Mahomes guy. Like I thought it was silly that people were fading him this year. He's, I think he's like one of the best quarterbacks to ever live. So I always, I always kind of lean Agreed. his way. Um, as one point favorites, it, it was the Bengals plus one. This is another one where Vegas is like, you try to figure it out, man. Like, I don't know how it's going to play out. Oh, they're just trying to get even money. There was no way where they would have had yeah. any money on the Chiefs if they opened up as like seven point home favorites. Yeah. yeah. That's all Vegas is always trying or to do. Vice versa. You Vegas is to just any money trying on the to Bengals. get. Yeah. Vegas is trying to get 50 50 on both sides and exactly. make, make the VIG and call it a day. Um, but with that being said, like, the issue with me is like like you mentioned, if the Chiefs have to play like they did against Jacksonville with Travis Kelsey catching 14 balls, not even surpassing a hundred yards. yards. Yeah. yeah. And no one else really in that offense making a huge impact. Like they're gonna need Juju to make some plays downfield. They're gonna need Kadarius Tony's quickness now that he's getting back into the game. Like the G- MVS has not been that deep ball specialist that they wanted him to be. He got a six-yard touchdown this past weekend. That was his only catch. Justin Watson has shown some flashes downfield. Sky Moore, as we know, has not been the rookie, um, has not made the rookie impact that they wanted him to make. And then you got Jarek McKinnon, who's been lethal out of the backfield. But lethal out of the backfield is what I want as like my third or fourth or fifth option, yeah, not facts. my second option. I don't want to rely on my running back as like my second 
pass catcher because those are behind the line of scrimmage throws and or four to five yard throws. So that's the issue for me here with the Chiefs on the Bengals side. Like they're just they're rolling on all cylinders right now, man. Just the domination against the Bills. They're riding on a high and like it's hard to look at this team who's won what 10 in a row, I think now. With Joe yep. Burrow and company, Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. Have 10 in a row and 12 of 13. Yeah, They're Burrow. Ridiculous right now. Burrow and Chase have been on another level of late. Chase has kind of made T. Higgins fall to the side a little bit as like the main option there. And the running game has been decent enough. Like, you know how we feel about Joe Mixon on this podcast. Well, I don't want to speak for Matt, but you know how the bros feel about no, Joe, feel Mixon about Joe Mixon <laughs> on this podcast. So, <laughs> so for me... For me, it just comes down to this game. I think this game's going to be one of those nail biters, two minute drill. Who ends up wanting it more? I think the if I had to bet, which this game is is just very hard to bet on. Um, I lean the Chiefs. I don't I don't see them losing to the Bengals again in Arrowhead for the second year in a row in the conference championship, despite the Mahomes injury and despite all that. I think I give the the slight edge to the Chiefs here, and I'd pick the over as well. Um, of 47 and a half. I know the Bengals defense has been very good in the playoffs these past couple of years, but I think this is more of a uh, who could score more points type of game. I do not see this game being a, even like 24, 20 would be t- 44 points. The over unders at 47 and a half. I think one of these teams yeah. surpasses 30 and I don't think um, it's a, and I don't think there's a blowout in the, in the books here either. So I like the over in this one a little bit more confident about the over than I am the chiefs, but, Chiefs and the over is my pick here. I'm um, bangle, bangles and over, I think, is mine. All right, we're split on that one. And I mean, I, and which is funny because I, I really did think that if it wasn't the Bills, that the Chiefs would just sleepwalk their way to a Super Bowl. But obviously, I, I am, a, I think, justifiably, but I'm a little more concerned about that ankle injury than most, I think. No, I so hear much you. of Patrick Mahomes' game is is rolling out and creating extra time for him to be able to do whatever he wants because he has the arm talent of God. Yeah, I could certainly be making a wrong move here by just kind of pushing it to the side, but I I trust in cortisone shots. I trust for this <laughs> in, for this in cortisone. Game. I trust. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that'll be it for this week's pod. Um, thank you all for listening. I'm at Brodo FF Mike. Matt, where can they find you? At Psych Ward FF. You can find Tim at Brodo FF Tim. Jason at Brodo FF Jason. Cass at Brodo FF Casanova. At um, Brodo Fantasy on Twitter. At FF by Brodo. All that good stuff. Download Fantasy Football by Broto app. Become a Patreon, a patron if you if your heart so desires. Extra patron pod every week. We're going to record the patron pod right after this. We're gonna recap some awards that we gave out and create a a DFS lineup. Last week's DFS lineup included Kenneth Gainwell. Shout out to Matt, um, who he uh, touted last week. So that's what we're gonna be doing for this week. But yeah, it's a you can also get access to the Discord. Just three bucks a month. So. If you feel kind enough and willing enough to, you know, come on over, give it a shot. I promise you it'll be a a great time and you'll get a lot of information and things of that sort. So thank you all for listening. Good luck to the uh, teams playing this week. Good luck to all you guys betting out there. Bet safely and uh, we'll see you next week. Later.